welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! We talked about something that I feel like is very, very important. We really hit on this idea of dealing with bitterness. How many were here last week? If you weren't here, I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it. And it came out of a, a place where I, when I was in New Brunswick uh, two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, and I had this experience where I saw God pulling up this radish root and replace, wanting to replace it with an orange tree. And I shared what this experience was all about, and it was about dealing with the bitter root of judgments that we have towards all spheres of society, government, politics, media, people in our life, the church, dealing with bitterness. And everybody in this room has, either has bitterness right now or has dealt with bitterness. And it could not, bitterness is not this, this thing that's like always so obvious. You can be bitter and one of the signs of being bitter is that you're always edgy and aggressive towards specific subjects. You can be bitter towards yourself and as a result of that, you feel ashamed and so your response mechanism is always aggressive to certain questions that are asked of you. You're bitter towards yourself because you know you should be a lot further along the journey than you are. And you can get bitter towards yourself and that gets re- reflected towards anger and, or, or represented in anger and hatred towards other people around your life. And so we need to deal with this bitter root. It's a foreign, the radish was never, uh, was, was not, it's not a Canadian, not known to, ca- to Canada. The radish is a foreign uh, root that came from a different country. Bitterness is not supposed to be in the soil of your heart. It's a foreign root. Something that doesn't belong in your life, and we need to deal with it. And I read out of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, saying this, Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace, and make sure no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which will only cause trouble and poison the hearts of many. I just wonder how limited we are in our spiritual journey because of the deception of bitterness that's in our lives that we don't even know is there. I wonder if some of the reasons why we're stuck and can't move ahead and can't break through patterns is because there's a bitterness in our life that we don't even realize we have. I wonder if we've made so much judgment towards other people and leaders and political leaders and we cast all this judgment. We sit in the stands on the sideline yelling at the team on how to play the game when we've never even got in the game ourselves. And we don't know what it's like to be in the shoes of the people on the field. And yet it's so easy to sit on the sidelines and judge everyone's actions, everyone's motives. And I wonder if because of all that judgment, we've developed a root of bitterness that's so deeply embedded in our spiritual life that the reason why we can't move forward and advance in some areas of our life and we feel stuck is because of that. And I just wonder that if in this season, maybe God is asking all of us to do a a check, a heart check, and say, do I have some bitterness towards the church, bitterness towards 
relationships, bitterness towards areas of society like government or, or the medical system or whatever. And I'm not saying that, hey, we're all not going to have temptation to feel bitter. I'm just saying don't stay bitter. Don't stay there. Don't let it become a root that grows even deeper roots in your life and then develops negative fruit in your life. And we've been in this series that was unintentional, kind of spontaneous. It's actually the fifth week now of this series called Target, uh, Target Practice. Target Practice, and, and it, like I said, it was not really a plan. We kind of dove into Romans 12. This is going to be the last week, probably, <laughs> the last week of this spontaneous series. But I really believe that this bitterness piece was really a part of that because it's one of the greatest evils that we have to overcome. One of the greatest evils that we have to overcome is bitterness in our life. And Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Protect your heart from this stuff. Because it's like poison. It's poison. And so we're going to dive into part five of target practice this morning. And uh, we're just going to address, this is going to be a really a practical teaching. I'm calling this more of like a devotional. More of like a, a devotional type teaching. This is not going to be very preachy. Um, it's going to be an encouragement. It's going to be a little bit of a practical devotional for you to bring home and say, hey, I want to practice this stuff. And I want to give us three keys to finding peace and community. We've been doing this, like I said, for five weeks now. And I really wanted, I felt like the Holy Spirit said camp out in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 9 all the way to 21. There's so much goodness in this passage. And if you've missed any of them, I'd encourage you to go back, uh, back to it. And if you're wondering why is it called target practice, well, because our aim is peace. Our aim is peace in relationship. Our aim is peace in our jobs. Our aim is peace in community. Our aim is peace wherever there are people, right? It's easy to have peace with God by yourself, in your room, nobody's around. But as soon as you throw some people in the mix, how many know that it's a disruptor of peace? Like you thought you were good as a bachelor or as a bachelorette in your character until you got married or until you had a relationship. You thought you were an awesome spiritual human being. But let me just tell you, relationship, whether it's relationship or friendship or co-working relationships or business relationships or marriage relationships or dating relationships or any type of relationships, as soon as you put relationships in the mix, it's a disruptor of peace. But the real question is, did you really have peace or did you just have peace and quiet? Two different things. Life was just easy, less responsibility, no one else to, no one is relying on you, you're not relying on them. But this is why relationships are so important because they're refining. They're a refiner. They're like a fire in your life. They're like a, you know, the, 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 the Solomon speaks of it like iron sharpening iron, like when they, two, they come together, they may spark, but they create something beautiful. And I want to encourage you, if you not, are not in relationships, to get into some relationships. Get into a connect group. Take someone out at work for coffee. Like, do your part to develop and pursue relationships. And we call it target practice because 
Aiming for peace in a relationship is like aiming for a moving target. It's always moving, and we have to adjust, and we have to adapt all the time. It's never so simple as just, boom, sniper, shots, done. No, we're constantly moving around. We're constantly adjusting, constantly maneuvering. I know, man, I'm so thankful that, like, for me, like, marriage, like, I, I, I haven't been married as long as some of the seasoned married veterans in the room, but I just know that marriage is one of the most character-developing tools out there. But I honestly would say that any long-term relationship or friendship is also one of those amazing tools to develop you, to make you a better version of yourself. The reason why there's so much divorce, one of the main reasons is because right on the cusp of being a better version of yourself, you don't like how it feels, and so you quit. It's like working relationships. Right on the cusp when your boss can see that if you could just adapt and adjust and do this one extra thing here, I can develop you and work with you and promote you and, and launch you and thrust you into this whole new season of work. But, but right at the cusp of all of that, there's the tension, there's the trial, there's the pressure. You don't like it and so you quit your job. And if you could just see the other side before you would quit, you would never quit. We quit because we're blind to what's next in seasons of life. We, we stop prematurely in life in so many areas because we're actually spiritually blind to what's next. Without a God perspective of what we're in and experiencing right now, we miss out on what is next. And that's a sad thing. That's a sad thing. I've watched so many leaders walk away and walk away from what God has for them because they were only seeing what was in front of them. They could not see on the other side. If the disciples, I mean, that was the disciples' issue in the boat. They could only see the storm. They couldn't see the other side of the storm. And because they could only see the storm, they thought they were going to drown. And so many of us feel like we're on the edge of drowning all the time. And if we could just get a glimpse of the other side of the storm, man, we'll make it through anything. We can make it through anything. Let's read Romans 12. I want to read this passage one last time. I know maybe some of you are getting a little uh, Romans 12 tired, but that's okay. That's okay. I think God will wake, wake you up a little bit one more last time, one last time for you th this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 11, or 9 to 21. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to land on one specific verse. Love must be sincere. We talked about this meaning unhypocritical without wrong motives. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's a good word, right? Honor one another above yourselves. That's a good word for any relationship. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord because that will always be attacked. You'll go through seasons where you'll lose your passion. You'll go through seasons where you're, you know, you've, you've lost your, your desire to pursue God. You'll go through seasons, maybe hard seasons, when you lost your desire to serve the house of God, which is part of serving the Lord. You know, you go through seasons like that. Verse 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction. We nailed this uh, two weeks ago. One of my favorite, actually favorite uh, messages was two weeks ago. We locked in on this. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Verse 13, this is where we're going to land today. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. How many like hospitality? Bless those who persecute you. How many like to do that? 
Bless your enemies, those that you cannot stand that are coming against you, that are chasing you down to take you out. He says, bless those. Speak well of those. And do not curse. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. We're going to land there. I'm going to read the rest, and we're going to dive into this. Live in harmony with one another, verse 16. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not revenge. Do not respond with the same response that people are having to you. Take the higher road. Do the better thing. Be the leader. Be the example. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it is possible. As far as it depends on you. That's a great motto for living life, a great way to live life. As far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone in your life. What that means is as far as it depends on you to make a choice or make a decision to do what's right, to live at peace with those around you, do it. Don't wait for someone else to apologize first. That's a low-level low level spirituality right there. Don't wait for someone else to apologize. You be the better person, and maybe you need to apologize first. Well, if they apologize to me, I'll apologize to them. You apologize first. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I'll repay, says the Lord. Verse 20, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Do the opposite of what you want to do. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do the opposite of what you want to do. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. You'll kill them with kindness. That's what he's saying. Paraphrase version. You'll kill them with kindness. Verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the target. This is what we're aiming at. To overcome all the stuff that comes into relationship and community. To overcome all of that by being good. By doing good. By speaking good. Are you here this morning? So three keys to finding peace in community. Number one, write this down. Write this down. Be generously hospitable with others. If you want to create deep relationship, in fact, in the culture, in the text that we're reading, in the culture, in that culture, like, there was no real intimate connection unless there was food and fellowship. You will never meet a Jew, a Jewish individual, a Jewish family that does not connect in intimate fellowship around food. I don't know, we've lost it, I don't know, like, I don't think we, we as a culture, I speak over generalizing in Canada, and specifically like white culture, we don't understand food and fellowship like other cultures do, and we've missed it on all fronts, on so many levels. You know, we open up our garage doors, and we close them right away, and we're in and out, and you know, and I'm speaking generally here. I'm not speaking for everybody in the room. I'm speaking generally. But in this culture, in Middle Eastern culture specifically, like, there was no contract even. You wouldn't make a business deal without food and fellowship first. In fact, if you go to China and you're making business deals, you have no choice but to go out for like four to five hour meals with business people before they're ever signing a contract. Am I not right, Eduardo? Like, like food and fellowship are a huge part of building trust, right? 
And he's saying here in verse 13, Romans chapter 12, verse 13, share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. The word is to pursue it like a hunter would chase down its prey or chase down what what he's hunting. To chase after, to practice hospitality. I I don't know, I, I think there are two kinds of hospitality people out there. There are the happy hosts and the stressed out hosts. I love practicing hospitality, but I'm the stressed out host. Anybody with me? I want everything to be perfect. I'm like over on the details. Like, man, it's like I I love it. I want to facilitate an amazing moment, an amazing environment. But, man, I'm just focused on the hosting, and sometimes I miss out on the actual fellowship because I'm just busy cleaning up and, and, and dealing with things that are bothering me, you know. Maybe a little bit of OCD hitting there, hitting there, you know, like. I can't stand that piece of cake on the floor. I got to deal with it right now other than talk to this individual. I'm just confessing my, my, my sins. So I'm the stressed out host, but I love it. I love practicing hospitality because it's kingdom. And the reason why it's kingdom is because it's one way that you let people into your world, into your life. To invite someone into your home and to share food with them is to say, hey, like I see you. You are valuable to me. And this is a statement of your value. Now, how many know some happy hosts? House is a mess. It's chaotic. But they're happy. I know some happy hosts. And not all of them are the same. Of course, there's happy hosts that still have, like, order in their house. I'm not saying that either. I'm just generalizing here. But I mean, I, one of our friends, uh, she's a pastor in the city, Julie Davidson. I'm actually speaking there tonight while I'm ministering there tonight. At their encounter night, and uh, I tell her all the time, "You're like the ha- you're like the happiest host I've ever met. Like you're just a happy host. Like you're like cooking all day, but it's like you're just so happy. I don't know. Like please impart that to me, because I don't feel happy. I I'm happy inside, but I don't I don't show it. I don't know. Like I'm happy inside, but I'm stressed out inside, and I'm a work in progress." Anybody with me? Am I like the only person in the room? I'm a lonely soul in this room right now. Okay, I got one hand back there. Okay, we'll have like this. We'll be like the stressed out host club, you know. But I love going to happy host people because I just don't like. There's no rules, right? I can put my cup anywhere. I don't feel as bad. It's already messy, you know. In my, in my house, I'm, like, moving glass away from the pool. I'm, like, making sure nothing's going on. There's no rocks in my, I'm, like, I, I, I'm just confessing my sin, you guys, here. I'm just, like, all that to say is hospitality is kingdom. And we are to be generous with our hospitality. Let me read the same verse in another translation out of the message. I love what it says. It says, help, help needy Christians be inventive in hospitality. I love that. Be inventive in hospitality. Like, what, what would it look like to go the extra mile? Some of us, we have an open-door policy, and we're hospitable, but we kind of get stuck. It's not the best environment to be in. What does it look like to be inventive in our hospitality? What does it look like to grow in our hospitality? The Amplified Version says, contributing to the needs of God's people pursuing the practice of hospitality. One of the ways that we are generous to the needs of God's people is to open our doors and practice hospitality. Now, I'm not saying invite everybody into your home. you got to be careful, you know. 
There was definitely seasons of my life where I'm like, heck no, you're not coming into my home. Not because you're not amazing individual potentially, but I just don't know if we trust you. And usually I've been right over, this, over the course of time, you know, just being in this type of environment for a long time. But it doesn't mean that we don't try. It doesn't mean that we don't believe the best. It doesn't mean that we don't practice and pursue and engage in hospitality. The Passion Translation version, version says it like this. Take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly welcome people as guests into your home. Just a good charge for us to constantly be opening up our home and, and developing relationship with people. How many can do that? How many like doing that? I think there are people that maybe like doing it but just don't know how to do it. And I just believe that if you were, if you were, to, if you were to submit this to God, God will help you. He'll give you inventive strategies on in how to be hospitable. But we are to practice it. We are to pursue hospitality. It's a sign of generosity. And, and this is the season that we're moving into now. We're moving from this theme of talking about community, community, community for the last real, since January, really. And we're now moving into a season where we're going to be talking a lot about what generosity looks like. Because if you remember at the beginning of the year, the three things that we really felt were to shape the year and theme was the revelation of community, the revelation of generosity, and the revelation of the gospel. So we're going to be shifting things at some point here. I don't know how it's going to look, but I just believe God is going to do an amazing work in the hearts of this house in this next season. And I want to say this, that hospitality is a sign of leadership because it shows your willingness to let people in. In fact, the criteria of eldership in the scripture, if you read it in Titus and in Timothy, the criteria for eldership was to practice hospitality, to invite people into the home. And the premise was if you can't even manage your own home and create a space, a safe space to manage your own home, to invite people into your home, how can you manage God's household? How can you manage the house of God? A criteria for leadership is practicing hospitality to be generous. When you go out with somebody, you pay the bill. You offer it, maybe you pay for the coffee. Practice generosity. Don't always wait for it to come to you is what I'm trying to say. You be the model of it. You practice generosity. Like I said, this word practice means to aggressively chase, like a hunter pursuing a catch. To aggressively chase down. There's a verse in Galatians chapter 6 verse 10 says this, So seize any opportunity the Lord gives you to do good things and be a blessing to everyone, especially those within our faithful family. If you can't practice hospitality within the people that are a part of your own community, you're going to have a hard time creating a space of hospitality for those that aren't in your community. Because you learn certain things with practicing hospitality with the people that share the same spiritual faith as you that you don't learn with others. Now, it's to overflow and it's to extend, but I want to encourage you to practice hospitality with those that you call part of your spiritual community. Powerful things will happen in and through your life. And some of us might say stuff like, well, I don't have the money. You, the thing is, I, this is my encouragement to you. You may be in a tighter season, but you always have something to give. 
we watch you going through drive through at Tim Hortons and Starbucks every two days, and I have no money. No, you have the money, but you choose to give it somewhere else. And this is not something that is, that is for certain people that fulfill a certain type of a criteria. This is for kingdom people in general. And God would not give us a charge if he did not believe that we could handle that charge. And so if you say, I don't have money, I would challenge you and say, well, maybe you just don't have value. You don't value hospitality. Because you put your money where you put your value or where you focus your value. You invest in the things you believe in, right? There are people in your life that God wants you to believe in in this season. There are situations that God wants you to believe in in this season, and I would encourage you to invest your money. Luke 16 verse 11 says, if you can't handle a small thing like money, who's going to entrust you with spiritual riches that really matter? That's why we teach here on the principle of the tithe. It's one of the only ways that God gets your attention every single week. Practically speaking, I'm talking about. Where we give and we trust God with our first 10 percent. We honor God's house with our first 10. Now some of you may struggle with that. Maybe you're at a place where I'll honor God with my first one percent. You do whatever God's leading you to do. I'm just telling you, I'm just the messenger. That in the word that I read, there is a value and there is a blessing that comes with trusting God with our first 10. It's a principle of honoring God with what's most powerful and most important. That we, I would rather invest into God's kingdom first than pay my taxes, which I'll do second. You hear me out? Pay my expenses. I have one life to live. I live for an audience of one. So God's getting my first and my best before anything else gets it. Before credit cards get it, before debt gets it, you know who's getting it? It's God. Because I'm going to trust God with my 90% to blow up the 90 rather than hope God's going to bless my 100 when God said, no, 10 is mine. And so we teach this because this is the principle. If we can't even handle a small thing like money, that's all going to burn when you die. You're investing into eternity. If you can't even handle a small thing like money, how are you going to handle the true, he's saying here, the writer of Luke, the true spiritual riches of heaven. Teaching my son, like, if you can't give a dollar out of your $10 now when you have no expenses and responsibilities, you'll have a lot harder of a time when you're older and actually have a job, have to pay a cell phone bill to give your first 10. If you can't do it now with joke money, that's like, like kind of what I say, it's like, you're getting the money, it's given to you, like you're not really working for it, you have no expenses, you aren't paying a food bill, if you can't handle the first 10 with joke money, you will not be able to handle it with real money and when you have real expenses. And we miss out then on the spiritual riches that God wants to give us because we can't handle a small thing like money. Now if I'm provoking anything into you, that's a good thing, that's, that's, that's why you're in this church hopefully, to be challenged, because sometimes this kind of stuff is like sandpaper. It's like, ooh, I don't like this. The pastor's talking about money. Hey, Jesus talked about money more than anything else, more than prayer in Scripture. You know why? Because he knew that if you couldn't get your money thing right, your prayers would suck. Because you'd be praying stuff that wouldn't make any sense. God bless me, break through financially. But God's like, wait a minute, I gave you the tool to break through financially, and you aren't even trusting me with the little. 
Your prayers start to make no sense because the money piece is out of whack. And he said in Matthew 6, 24, that there's only two, two gods out there, love of God and love of money. You got to pick. You're going to love God or you're going to love money. He called money a God. And it was money that actually put Jesus on a cross. It was the betrayal. Judas sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver because he wanted the money. And that didn't end well for Judas, if you know Judas's story. So we got to get this in this season. And even start just with loving our neighbor, practicing hospitality. Number two, write this down. Number two, speak well of others. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The word bless is to speak well of. The word curse is to feel or express great loathing for. There are people in your life that have a great loathing and have a hatred towards you. You know what God wants us to do is to bless them. Isn't that powerful? To bless them. What would it look like to bless all the people that you just can't stand? To speak well of them. So they hate you. They betrayed you. They talk bad about you behind your back. And then you go behind their back and speak well of them. That shows your maturity right there. To speak well of those that don't speak well of you shows your maturity. And how many have failed sometimes at that? Nobody in the room. We've all failed at that. But we can grow in it, can't we? We can grow in it. You've never met most of the people you talk trash about. And you probably never will. But you can learn to speak well of them behind the back. I don't care if it's a celebrity. I don't care if it's a political leader. If you want to see change and want influence, start speaking blessing rather than cursing the very thing that you want to see change in. And that was the whole thing about the radish root last week, if you, if you were here, about the leaves, on the leaves were written all these areas of society that were like the offspring of this bitter root. And I was saying, how can we bless areas of society if we're blocked because of our bitter root? Because blessing, or bitterness is a blessing blocker. You cannot bless areas of your life that you are bitter in. It's a stop. It stops you. So bless those who persecute you. And actually, it's the same word that's used for practicing hospitality, interestingly enough. And the word is, bless those who aggressively chase you down like a hunter would to pursue a catch. In the negative sense, to overtake you. Their desire is to overtake you, and you're called to bless them. Ecclesiastes 20 or 10 verse 20 says, do not curse the king. Even in your thought, do not curse the rich. Even in your bedroom, for a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird in flight may tell the matter. What he's saying here, this is Solomon speaking, the wisest man at that time that ever lived. He's saying, listen, even if you think some stuff, be careful, it's going to get out eventually. You may think it's private, you're sharing and you're like, you know, talking bad about somebody you know, in private, but God hears you. God hears you. And this is a hard thing to hear. I mean, come on. Is there just no room to vent your feelings? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs that a fool vents all his feelings, but the wise hold their tongue. There is a place to vent your feelings, but if it's at the expense of cursing somebody, there's no place for that in the kingdom. Ephesians 4 verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Once again, this is a hard thing. 
Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Proverbs 18, 21 says, The power of the tongue, or death in life, are, are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. One of my favorite stories that I always share, I love it, it's like, that just shows me the power of the tongue, was years ago when I was leading a team down at Mardi Gras in New Orleans. And we were down there, and we were in this one area, and we were ministering to people on the street during one of the greatest parties, biggest parties ever. And we led teams on there for seven, over seven years. And there was this girl, she was totally wasted out of her mind, just like, like on, on the level of like almost alcohol poisoning, where we had to almost call the ambulance. So we sat her down, she was just a mess. My team called me, like, you need to come over here, we don't know what to do with this, this, um, this individual. And... Uh, so we, we began to just kind of pray for her. Nothing was really working. She was, like, just totally wasted. She lost her cell phone. She was with her husband and her family and her friends. Or sorry, her husband and her friends. She got disconnected from them, had no cell phone, didn't know where they were. This is, like, tens of thousands of people partying. Everyone's wasted. She's, she's lost, doesn't know how to find her husband, doesn't know how to find her friends. And so we just felt the Lord say, just prophesy life over her. Just, just declare life over her. Proverbs 18, 21, the power of the tongue is life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. In other words, you're going to reap the benefits. You're going to see the fruit. So we began to just speak over her. I think it was like for two hours. Like just two, over two hours, we were just speaking life over her. No real response. She didn't sober up. We've seen that happen many times where people just instantly sober up by a miracle. We, she wasn't sobering up, but we just felt to keep doing it. Some stuff happened. We ended up having to go. We had to find, we found her someone to stay with in the end to find a phone. And uh, the crazy thing is, one year later, we were back on the same street at Mardi Gras. One year later, on the same street, one year later, and guess who we run into one year later? The same woman. And the woman, guess what she was doing? The same thing we were down there to do. And we encountered, and she told us the story that after we had left her, one week later, her and her husband encountered Jesus for the first time. And they decided because of where it happened to them that they would come back one year later and do the same thing that we were doing, just loving on people, ministering to people. Isn't that wild? The power of your tongue is life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. We ate the fruit of our tongue one year later. And that just goes to show you God is so good to show us that. That you don't realize the seeds you're planting. They may be going on to hard ground or so you think. But one day they'll produce something so powerful. Last point, number three, and then we're done. Stay sensitive to others. Third key to building peace and community. Stay sensitive to others. Romans chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. I think sometimes we have a culture where we rejoice with those who mourn. It's like a vindictive way or a revengeful way of getting back at somebody. Desert, they deserve it. Serves them right. Anybody ever had that thought? Serves them right. Come on, let's just be honest. And we almost rejoice with those who are in mourning. It's a very dangerous place to live. Paul says rejoice with those who rejoice. Be happy with those who are happy. Like, I, I, I think what saddens me the most sometimes in relationship is when I'm happy about something and someone doesn't share that happiness with me. You know, you know that feeling? It's like you don't even care. Like I just scored a big goal and you're like, ah, cool, what's up, man? It's like, bro, 
Like, I just scored a goal. Like, do something. Like, share the rejoicing with me. It's painful, isn't it? Anybody ever feel that? It's like, are you even alive right now? I mean, even worse, though, when you're mourning and just there's just, like, no, there's nothing. There's nothing. I've had a few moments like that. Moments where I've shared something really, like, deep and sad to me, maybe over the phone with somebody, and it was like their response was just like, oh. And I felt gross after. Like, I just, why did I even share that to that individual? I just felt gross after. Stay sensitive to others. It says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We're called to carry the weight of other people. When they're going through a hard time, we carry that weight with them. When they're going through a good time, we carry that joy with them. We share that joy. If we're going to build strong community, we need, we need this. Stay sensitive to others. When people score a goal, cheer for them. Like, do something. Celebrate. Let them know that you're there in their corner with them. But often, I notice this, that when you feel jealous about somebody and they score a goal, you don't want to engage it. Because it's a provoker for you. It's a reminder of everything that you're not. So how can you celebrate with somebody that is a reflection of what you're not? And we live in a culture right now where everyone's got to keep up with the Joneses and, and the next social media post, and we got to look a certain way and sound a certain way and be a certain way and have certain things. And so when other people get it before you, if you can't celebrate Maybe there's a jealousy going on that's stopping you from advancing in life. Examine your heart in this season because if you're going to have strong community and relationships, this stuff's got to get dealt with and uprooted. Jealousy is, a, is brutal. Insecurity is brutal. Pride is brutal. Well, I can't celebrate them because, you know, what if it doesn't end up panning out or what if it, you know... What if it's not the right thing for them? And just celebrate with people. Just rejoice when people are rejoicing. Mourn with those who are mourning. I was talking to somebody this week it's about this. Like the, I feel like the, the more life I've experienced, the, the more quick I am to cry at things. You know, and I, I, I when, when you've been broken a lot, and I'm talking about broken people that let God in. Broken people that don't let God in is a whole different thing. But broken people that let God into the brokenness, I would rather be a cracked pot built back up together again than a, a pot that looks perfect on the outside, but when you put a light inside, you can barely see it. If you crack a pot and you glue it back together again, that light's going to shine through the cracks. That's kingdom. To let God into your brokenness. To let God shine his light through the cracks of your life as a celebration that you've made it through. You've been built back up again. I'd rather be that guy than look like I have it all together and barely have any light shining through. And I don't have it all together. And let me just tell you this, the people in the church besides you don't have it all together. The church will fail you. People will fail you. I don't care if it's the church, if it's your workplace, I don't care if it's wherever you are in life, your neighbors, people are going to fail you. 
Don't blame God for people's mistakes. Don't walk out on the church or out on God because somebody beside you made a boo-boo. You hear what I'm saying? Because that's life. It's going to happen everywhere you go in every facet of life. People are going to backstab you. People are going to gossip about you. People are going to not be the kind of people you need them and want them to be. But you know what God's test for you is will you still love? Will you still love? When people walk out on will you still love? Or are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to harden your heart? Are you going to harden your heart because you don't know, Sean, what people did to me? You don't know what I've been through. Are you going to harden your heart? No. Jesus didn't harden his heart, and we're to be, he is our prototype. He kept on loving when they were beating him up, and they were rejecting him, ridiculing him, falsely accusing him, spitting on his face, lacerating him with whips so bad that his insides were exposed. Did he say anything to fight back? No. He still loved his actions spoke love every step of the way to the cross. You know, and if we are to emulate anything close to Jesus, guess what? Life is going to suck at times. And people are going to come at you. And if you can keep your love on, you know what? When you keep your love on in those seasons, you are more closely related to Jesus than you know. Because he kept his love on despite all the stuff that went on. I want you to stand up with me. I want to close with this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human, and every respect as we are yet without committing any sin. Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is the throne of grace, gracious favor, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in time of need, an appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. Jesus feels exactly what you're going through in this season. And I want you to close your eyes just for a few seconds here. Because sometimes we think Jesus is like this disconnected, iconic, religious figure that has no idea what we're going through. And he really does. The Bible calls him a high priest that is able to sympathize with your weaknesses. Tempted with all the same things you've been tempted with. Gone through the same things that you've gone through. Now did he respond the same way that you did? No. But he's been there. And he wants you to know today that he believes in your ability by his grace and by his power to make it through whatever it is you're going through right now. Disappointment, disappointment, discouragement, hopelessness. How is this ever going to change? How am I ever going to break through? I mean, I just believe Jesus wants you to know today. That he's here to help you navigate this season of your life. Maybe you're in this room and you've never let Jesus into your life. You, you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today. It's real simple. Romans chapter 10 says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Simply acknowledging that on the cross, he took all your shame, all your guilt, 
all the condemnation that would come with sin. He took it all upon himself. And from his spilled out blood on the cross, it was like cleaner to wash you clean, to make you brand new. But he didn't just die and stay dead. He resurrected to give you new life. That's why we did baptisms this morning. To celebrate the new life. It's the statement. Water baptism is the statement that I have been forgiven past, present, and future. That he did the work 2,000 years ago that I could never do. You can't work for your salvation. You can't do a bunch of good things to get into heaven. You can't do a bunch of good things to impress God for a relationship. You are already, you are already loved. He so loved you that he gave his whole life for you. And all you have to do is say yes. Say, I want you in my life, God. Like, I want you to lead my life. Maybe you were in a situation where in the past you said, God was my leader. God was my God. He, I, I had a relationship, but then I got hurt. I went through some stuff, hard stuff, you know, challenges, trials. And maybe you kind of left your faith a little bit. Let me just tell you this. God never left you. You may have left your faith in him, but his love for you never wavered was always consistent, unconditionally consistent. So if that's you today, and if you just, maybe you're making a step, you're taking a step off the fence today in the right direction. All you have to do is say yes. Say yes, Jesus, I'm letting you in. I'm surrendering my life. Maybe it's for the first time. Maybe it's for the second time, the third time. I've been on the fence. I've got kind of two feet, one foot over here, in things that they shouldn't be in, and one foot over here, and things that they should be in, and I, I just want, I, t this is a season where I'm going to go all in. For you, 